welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us uh, this morning. If you've got children that are uh, kindergarten through third grade, uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody for Children's Church. If you have children uh, older than that or those that are staying with us and want some activities, there's activities on that back table they are free to grab and take to their seat. Uh, there's also a sermon notes uh, for your kids, designed for your kids. It goes along with the sermon. Uh, it's got a little bingo game in there they can play. Uh, they come see me afterwards and we've got some candy uh, for them. Uh, so today we are continuing in our series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, and in this series, we are looking at, uh, we're looking at the parables, uh, the stories that Jesus told that desire to address an issue. Um, they desire to challenge his audience and they invoke or call for a response from us, the audience. And we've said parables aren't just silly anecdotes, but they are uh, powerful stories that call for a decision from us, the hearers. Today we find ourselves in John uh, chapter 15, um, and there is some literary debate over this passage of whether or not it is merely an allegory or if it does indeed qualify as a parable, uh, but for our sake today it qualifies as a parable. Uh, and this parable is also one of Jesus' famous uh, I am statements, and it forms a parable or an allegory of how it is we are called to relate to Jesus and remain in him. Uh, and this is a parable that was foundational uh, for this past week's theme of connected at children's camp. So you get a glimpse into what we uh, talked about this past week. And the setting for this message uh, from Jesus is significant. Uh, this parable isn't just shared as he is rolling through the countryside, but this parable is shared a, a mere 24 hours uh, before he would be crucified for the sins of the world. These are some of his final words to the disciples and to us before he would go to the cross on our behalf. And that's significant and it is significant context uh, for what we are about to read. So we're in John chapter 15 and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture, Lord. We thank you for this imagery of, of the relationship that you have and desire to have with us. God, I pray that as we study uh, your word, Lord, that you would make it uh, just our relationship with you clear. Uh, God, that we would uh, find confidence uh, in our relationship with you, that we would find our joy uh, in our relationship with you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that is not in relationship, that is not connected to you, the vine, God, that you would make that clear. God, and that you would give them the courage and strength to turn and trust you with their lives. God, we thank you uh, that you are the vine. Lord, we thank you that in you we are made clean, we are forgiven, and that in you we will bear fruit. God, we love you. 
We praise you and it's your name we pray. Amen. So first of all, I just want to quickly unpack the imagery as it would have been received and understood by Jesus' Jewish audience of that day. And I want us to see uh, the significance of what he is saying here, even beyond the gardening imagery. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is referencing imagery of the vine that is used throughout the Old Testament. Uh, um, but the interesting thing about that is that throughout the Old Testament, when vine imagery is used, it is almost always negative. Uh, meaning almost every time that Israel was referred to as the vine, it was accompanied with a declaration that they were the vine, but they did not bear fruit. And because of that, God's judgment or wrath was coming. When you heard vine terminology in the first century, if you were a Jew, it was always, almost always a pronouncement of judgment. And yet here Jesus is turning it on his head and he says, I am the true vine. And he says that if you are in me, you will bear fruit. Jesus is rescuing this imagery from the Old Testament. He's saying that you, you on your own, you couldn't do it. You couldn't bear fruit. You couldn't save yourself. But I am the true vine and in me, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. He here is declaring the gospel. He's saying throughout the Old Testament, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you worked, you always fell short. But in me, in Jesus, the true vine, you will bear fruit that pleases God. You will be connected to him because of who he is. So that's our first point, that in Jesus, you will bear fruit. He's declaring to us, and we see here that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't work hard enough or do enough good deeds to be saved. In fact, Jesus here says that if we aren't connected to him, we can't bear spiritual fruit. We will wither away and die. You see, that was the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They had lots of rules. They tried really hard, and they still couldn't earn salvation on their own. They couldn't make up for their sin with enough good deeds. But we see in the gospel that in Jesus, who is the true vine, in him who would lay down his life for his followers, they and we can be forgiven. Salvation can be found in Jesus alone. Forgiveness of sins and salvation isn't dependent on our works, but it's a free gift of grace given to us and earned by Jesus, who is the true vine. He is declaring to us, you can't do it, but I've done all you need. I am the true vine. In fact, he says in verse 2 that the father is the gardener and he cuts off any branch that does not bear fruit. What this means is that if you are in Jesus, you will bear fruit. And if you are not in Jesus, then you will not and cannot bear fruit. And you will be cut off and separated from him because of your sin. Because you have not experienced his grace, love, and forgiveness. Jesus says this isn't optional. If you are a Christian, you will bear fruit. And so if we will bear fruit, it starts to uh, matter how we define fruit. And spiritual fruit is defined by Paul in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 through 23. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice in this context, uh, in this text, he says it's not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. It's not plural, it's singular, meaning these aren't exclusive. We don't just get to pick which ones we want to do. But if you are a Christian, you will bear fruit, you will grow in each of these things. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things there is no law. And so this is important for two reasons. First of all, uh, the fruit we are bearing is assurance of our salvation. If we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, 
which Jesus says is only possible in him, if we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, then that is assurance that we are saved. It is assurance that we are forgiven. If we can look back over our life and we can see that Jesus is growing us to love the things that he loves, that he is growing us in our kindness, he is growing us in our goodness, faithfulness, self-control, that we are looking more like Jesus, if he is maturing us to be more like him, then there is confidence and assurance that we are saved. On the flip side, this declaration gives us a measuring stick to evaluate whether or not we have been saved, whether or not we have been forgiven. If we are not growing, if there is no fruit, then that is evidence that we don't yet know Jesus. We've not yet experienced his forgiveness. In Matthew 7, Jesus makes uh, this really kind of troubling statement. Jesus says, in the last days, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he says, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? He says, but then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And what that means is there will be some that played religious games in this life. There will be some that attended church every single Sunday that looked good in the eyes of the world, but they had never experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, their Lord and Savior. There will be people who live their lives as a facade. We talked about this at camp a lot. There will be people who tried to look good on the outside but never surrendered their hearts to trust in Jesus. They looked good on the outside, but their hearts weren't genuine followers. They played religious games to appease God, to remain in control, to leverage him for something in their life. At camp this week, we had an inflatable tree. And on this inflatable tree that was dead, we taped on good fruit. But what happens to good fruit when it's taped to a dead tree? It rots and dies. We had fallen nectarines and grapes all over the floor. You have, if to, to experience, to bear fruit, you must be connected to the vine, which is Jesus. And he says there are some that never experience the grace, forgiveness, and relationship with Jesus that saves. They're like those Israelites who weren't connected to the true vine, and their efforts ended in destruction. And so my prayer for you uh, is that God would give you his eyes to evaluate your life and your heart, and that you would see with confidence that you are saved, or maybe you have not yet experienced Jesus. And that, if that's you, that God would give you the courage to follow him, to humble yourself and embrace the grace and forgiveness available in him. Jesus is the true vine, and anyone that is in him will bear fruit. There will be obvious growth in your life in the fruit of the Spirit. All right, that leads to our second point. And our second point is that in Jesus, you will be pruned. We see that in the latter half of verse 2. Jesus says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, those that are following him, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Right? That's not exactly the message we want to hear, is it? Right? We are a people of comfort and ease. We are a settling people. We would always settle for pretty good or settle for the fruit we are bearing. But that is not the father who is the gardener. The Lord prunes and we grow. The Lord prunes and we grow. The Lord prunes and we grow. Jesus says, I am what you could not be, but I am going to grow you into who I am. 
and who I am. I am perfect love. I am perfect joy. I am perfect peace. I am perfect kindness. I am perfect goodness. I am perfect faithfulness. I am perfect gentleness. I have perfect self-control. And that is what he is growing us into. And how does he grow us to be more like that? He grows us as he prunes us. Jesus says, you have some fruit. I am going to prune you back. I am going to cut you back so that you can bear more fruit. I grew up in the uh, Willamette Valley, which is in Oregon. If you're not familiar with the Willamette Valley, it is some of the greatest farming land in the world. And every year in the fall, if you go to the fruit orchards, they prune back their trees. If you've ever seen a tree that is pruned, it's often not a pretty sight. They will cut back every branch that did not bear fruit. They will cut back every branch that strays from the main trunk of the tree. And sometimes when they are done, there seems to be more tree on the ground than there is tree on the tree. And you look at those trees and you think, how could that tree ever bear fruit? Nonetheless, how is it going to survive the winter? But they prune the tree back so that it can bear more and better fruit. Every stray branch that took away nutrients from the branches that were bearing fruit, they, those that distracted and stole from the fruit-bearing limbs, they cut them back. And in the same way, God is pruning and cutting back our lives from the distractions from the pursuits that are not of him, from the false gods and idols of our lives, those things that keep us from him and from bearing fruit. God uses the tests, the trials, the challenges, the difficulties of life to prune us and to focus our priorities and our values on things that matter. Tim Keller says every trial is a test in which God desires to grow and mature us in our faith. So if you are a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times of pruning. And those aren't, those aren't punishment from God, but those are times where he is growing us, where he is maturing us, where he is, he is helping us to bear more and better fruit in him. So if we are in Jesus, we will get pruned. Our next point comes in verse 3. Verse 3 says, uh, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And so our next point is this, that in Jesus you are already clean or you are already forgiven or you are already made righteous. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's speaking to those of us that are followers, that are believers, and he is saying that you have heard my words, you have heard my teaching, you have heard who I am, you know who I am, and because you have believed my words, you have already been made clean. Because you believe, not because of anything you have done, but because you believed in me, because you believed in my work on the cross, you are clean, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are made white as snow. In Christ, if you are his follower, you are already clean. And that's the gospel in one verse. That in Christ, we have been granted the cleanliness, the righteousness of Jesus, not because of us, not because of anything we have done, but simply because we believed and trusted our lives to him. Because we believed and we trusted his work on the cross and his resurrection. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not forgiveness I've earned, but the gospel is forgiveness given through Jesus, the true vine. You think about it, this statement from Jesus to the disciples is even more remarkable when you consider the timing. When you consider the timing that he is going to give his life in 24 hours and these disciples he is talking to are going to run from him. They're going to betray him. They're going to deny him. Because he is God, he knows this is coming. And he still says, you have believed you put your faith in me, and you are made clean. 
you are righteous. Your act that is coming is not going to lose that cleanliness. Let's read it again. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And that's a picture of what it is to be a Christian, this union of Jesus that I am in him and he is in me. Because of that, I am made clean. Pastor Matt Chandler says like this, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, when God sees you, he sees the perfect obedience of Christ. He doesn't see your failures, but the obedience of Christ, which was perfect. So if you are in Jesus, you are clean. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, and because of that and his love, the Christian ought to eagerly abide or follow or remain in him. Because he is in me, then my desire should be to be with him. Because he loved me and gave his life for me, then I ought to desire to be with him. Because of who he is and what he has done, that is why I follow after him. But that's hard for us to embrace and to grasp because that's not how our other relationships in life work, is it? In all of our other relationships, we have to clean ourselves up. We have to do right before we can begin or maintain a relationship with someone else. But in the Bible, in our relationship with Jesus, that's not how it plays out. Jesus tells us you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to him. But instead he says, come to me as you are and I will clean you up. It is I, Jesus, that makes you clean. It's all about Jesus. If we could grasp that to some degree, to any degree, it would change everything. If we could grasp that we are made clean, that we are forgiven, we would be overwhelmed by the love and sacrifice we have been shown. And secondly, as believers, we wouldn't cower in guilt and shame, but we would run fervently to the God that has already made us clean. If you have young kids, or you've obviously been a child, or you had young kids, you can understand this picture. But what helps me understand this is I, I think back to when I was a child. And I remember as a young child, most days we would be so excited for our dad to get home from work. We would wait in the window, we would wait on the front porch, and we would meet him at his truck when he got home. But there were those days. There were those days when the day did not go so well. Maybe you've said it or you've heard it, but we heard those dreaded words, you wait till dad gets home. And on those days, we didn't run to dad. But instead, we hid in the closet of our bedrooms because we knew what was coming when dad got home. We were going to face the punishment of our behavior. And that's our human nature. And that's, that's a good dad. We believe that if we have offended, we should hide and avoid. But the danger is when we take that to our relationship with God. Because God doesn't say hide because punishment coming. But he says, you are clean and you are righteous, so run to me. Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, then I abide in you. And there is no more sin, guilt, or condemnation. Jesus says when God looks at you, no matter how your day went, he sees you as clean as white as snow. So don't avoid and run from God when things go bad, but run to him, for he has already made you clean. 
An incredible picture plays out of this in the next few chapters of John if you read on. Remember Jesus 24 hours before. Jesus is going to tell the disciples he's going to die and he's going to say, you are all going to run and you're all going to betray me. Peter, who we know and love, but he's a, just a little bit too outspoken for his own good sometimes. He says, I will never leave you, Jesus. Jesus corrects him. He says, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Well, things play out as Jesus predicts. And as you can imagine, Peter is broken when the rooster crows. Peter is crushed. He has denied his Lord at his darkest hour. And my instinct, if I was Peter, would have been to go into hiding, to go into the pit of despair. But if you fast forward to John chapter 21, this incredible scene unfolds. Peter was a fisherman, so after Jesus' death, he doesn't know what to do, so he goes back to fishing. And the disciples had heard that Jesus was resurrected, but they didn't know, they hadn't seen him for themselves. And so Peter is out, and he's in this fishing boat, and Jesus shows up on the shore. Jesus calls out to them, and Peter recognizes who it is. So what would you expect Peter to do? He has betrayed Jesus. He has failed him miserably. What would you expect him to do when Jesus shows up? My instinct would be to cover my head in shame. I'd start rowing the other direction because I didn't want to face up to what I had done. I would hide myself in some way. I think that's our natural instinct when it comes to Jesus. I mean, he had, he had betrayed Jesus in an egregious way. The account says he was cussing and swearing the name of Jesus. I would hide, but what does he do in John chapter 21? When Peter sees Jesus on the shore, the Bible says he ties his outer garment and he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus to fall at his feet. This is the picture of the gospel in our relationship with Jesus. We have offended God. We have sinned against him, yet we have been made clean. So we ought not hide, but instead we should run to the one that has saved us. Peter doesn't hide, but instead he dives into the sea to get to his Savior as fast as he can. The other disciples, they're desperately trying to turn that boat around. But he decides, I don't have time. I'm diving in. I am getting to my Savior. Peter was the most guilty of them all, the most egregious sinner of them all. And he doesn't run from, but instead he runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet. When we understand that Jesus is the true vine, when we understand that he has saved us and made us clean, when we understand that he did that when we could not do it on our own, when we understand that he loves us more than we can comprehend, that we are made clean in him, we don't run from the God that saves, but we run to him. Next point is this, that when we remain in Jesus, or that we remain in Jesus because he has first loved us. There's a checklist. There's a lot of practical ways that we can remain in Jesus, the true vine. And those are all really important, but the reality is our motivation for remaining, for abiding in Jesus can't just be to check off boxes. Our real motivation has to flow out of our gratitude for his sacrifice and our forgiveness. Right? Yes, we need to pray regularly. Yes, we need to read our Bible regularly. Yes, we should attend church and be with God's people. Yes, we need to pause and hear God's voice. Yes, we need to see God's presence and celebrate his creation. Those are all great things that we ought to do to remain in Jesus, the true vine. But if we do those things just to check off boxes each and every day, we become like the Pharisees and we believe that we can control the relationship. We begin to believe that if I check off all the boxes, Jesus will love me more. 
He will make me more clean. He will give me what I want. It all, again, becomes about me controlling the relationship. But look at this, verse 8. Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. And we begin to read this text and we say, okay, I see that if I obey his commands, then I remain in his love. That's not what he just said. He says, if you remain or you abide in my love, then you'll obey my commands. So it's not obey my commands and you'll love me, but as you grow in your love for me, then you will learn to obey my commands. And when we get this backwards, we totally miss it and we totally miss what it means to live and to walk in grace. The Christian faith, the Christian walk is not do this so that you might be approved. The Christian walk, the Christian faith is love, and so therefore you will do. Do we, do we see that? If we remain in God, we obey his commands because he has already loved us and made us clean. He gave his life for me. He has made me pure. He loved me when I was a sinner. I now experience his love, so where else would I go? Peter's got that famous passage, where else would I go? I want to be with him. I want to do the things that please him because I've already experienced his love. You think about a marriage. Think about my wife. I don't do the dishes in order to earn her love. I already have her love. Because I already have her love, I do the dishes to please her, to, to, to make her happy, to express my love for her. So friends, we abide or we follow Jesus. We run to Jesus not to make ourselves clean, but we remain in Jesus. We run to Jesus because he has already done that for us. He has already loved us. He has already forgiven us in his love. We obey not to try to earn God's love or earn his favor, but we remain because he has already loved us and made us clean. And the way we, we change this mindset is by dwelling in the gospel by reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, by reminding ourselves of who we are in Jesus. Because the more we understand the gravity of what Jesus has done in our lives, then the more time we want to spend with him. Jerry Bridges in Transforming Grace wrote, My observation of modern Christianity is that most of us tend to base our relationship with God on our performance instead of his grace. We say, if I've performed well, whatever that is in our opinion, then God's going to bless me. And we say, if I haven't done so well today or this week, well, then we reduce what we think God is going to do for us. And in this sense, we, he says we live by works rather than by grace. We are saved by grace. We acknowledge that, but we are living by the sweat of our own performance. So often, he says, we give lip service to the grace of God, but our motto, our unspoken motto, is that God helps those who help themselves. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Jesus instead of my performance, he says, is a freeing and joyous experience. We remain, we love, we find joy not because of what we have done for God, but because of what he has done for us. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, my, my favorite verse in the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while there was nothing good about us, 
Christ died for us. So we don't earn God's love, but we love him because he died for us while we were wretched sinners. He gave his life to give us life while we were still sinners. And that's the gospel. That is why we desire to know him more. That's why we desire to remain in him. That's why we run to him at all times. That's why we obey his commands. That's why we strive to bear fruit. That leads to our final point, which is in verse 11. And that is that my joy is complete in Jesus alone. This is something we've talked about many times, but there is a huge difference between happiness and joy. We so often get them confused. Happiness comes and goes, and it's dependent on our circumstances. You can wake up happy one morning because you slept well or had good dreams, and then one thing goes wrong, like the coffee pot doesn't go off at the right time, and we go from happiness to despair or anger or frustration. Happiness is fickle. It comes and goes. But joy is different. Joy is not based on our external circumstances. The Bible says you can have joy no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you are feeling. Jesus says joy is instead based on the spiritual reality that I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. Joy is found in the reality that I am saved, that I am clean, that I am forgiven. And that no matter what goes on, no matter how I fail, that will never go away and I can always run to the one that saved. So as Melinda, she's going to come and play. I just want to take a moment to reflect. And so my encouragement for you is that if you are a follower of Jesus, that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of trial, in the midst of just life, day-to-day life, that you would find your joy in Jesus. That you would remain in Jesus because he has already loved you. That you would find your hope in Jesus because of who he is and that he gave his life for you. That when we fail or when things go wrong, we would be like Peter who runs to our Savior instead of running and hiding. So my prayer for you this week is that you would just reflect on the truth of the gospel. Reflect on the fact that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life for you, and that in him you are made clean. And then if you're here today and you look at your life and you examine your life and you don't see that you are bearing good fruit, My prayer is that if you are not in Christ, if you are not uh, connected with him, if you've never followed him, that he would make that clear to you today. That you would humble yourself. And that you would choose to return to him, to follow after him as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible says, despite your sin, he loves you. Despite your sin, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die the death that your sin deserved. Jesus rose victorious over that death, and he offers you his life. His forgiveness, His righteousness, he, he offers to make you clean if you will just choose and follow after Him. The Bible says that if you just humble yourself and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who He said He was, and you repent and follow after Him, you will be forgiven. So my prayer is if that is you, that you would choose to follow Him today. If you have questions about that, you can come and talk with me afterwards. It would be my privilege to share with you what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray, Melinda's just going to play for a minute or two, and we're just going to bow our heads and reflect on who Jesus is and who we are in him. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you loved us despite our sin. 
We thank you that while we were wretched sinners, while we were running the other direction, while we were dead in our sin, you sent Jesus to die the death that my sin, that our sin deserved. And God, we thank you that you offer forgiveness and new life and righteousness to anyone who will turn and follow after you. And God, my prayer for us as followers of you, Lord, that you would just remind us afresh of who we are in you. That you would remind us and make it so real, your love for us. That you would remind us and, and just help us to live in the reality that we are made clean, that we are forgiven in you, Lord. And God, I pray that as you renew our minds, as you remind us of who we are in you, God, that we would run to you, that we would seek after you, that we would desire to please you, not, not for our gain, but out of our gratitude and our love for who you are. So, I, God, I pray that in these next few minutes and at this, this, throughout this week, God, that you would refresh our perspective. God, and you would remind us of who you are in him. God, we thank you so much for the forgiveness and life that is available in you. God, I pray that we would abide, that we would remain in you this week. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Lord, again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, our, uh, for the life that is available in you. And God, I pray that we would live in that, that we would walk in that this week, and that we would know true joy in you. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, I have just a few announcements for you before we go. Uh, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the box on that back table, we would appreciate it. That's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. In terms of announcements, we said uh, we have youth camp coming up, not this week, but the next week. Um, if you have questions about that, you can see me, or if you need a registration form, you can see me. Um, there's also a meeting at 7 o'clock uh, for those that are going. Uh, Justin told me he had contacted all of you, but if you didn't, there you go. Uh, we have Vacation Bible School uh, coming up August 1st to the 4th. Um, if you are interested in knowing more and like seeing the schedule and some more information on that, we're going to have a meeting uh, briefly after church, uh, after Melody gets back up here. Uh, uh, so please stay for that. Uh, there's also uh, flyers, little postcards, note cards on that back table that you can hand out to friends uh, and family or whoever uh, and invite them to VBS. Uh, and then lastly, just want to give you a heads up that soccer is starting in the league. And so we're going to start doing snow cones and popcorn again. Uh, and that's going to kick off uh, in August. So you can 
prepare yourself mentally to make snow cones and popcorn and pass those out. We're looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much for being here uh, this week. We pray that you have an awesome week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed. Thank you.